This is great. We're, <laughs> we're selling this so beautifully. I should have known this. It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the standby for places green room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Today we are chatting with Eric Scotto, the director of Little Shop of Horrors. Not that one, the other one that is coming to Standby for Places very soon. Eric, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to see you because we know Likewise. each other. We do. We go back. Like way back. Like way like back. We, we for those of you who don't know, we did the Full Monty together. Eric directed me in that uh, five years ago. Four? I don't remember. <laughs> Five? Several. I think it was 16, right? Yeah. Yeah. So math. A great year. So much great stuff happened that year. Before the world fell apart. Yes. Um, yeah. So so we've worked together in a musical way, but recently we got to work together doing this fantastic audio version of not the musical, no. the, the 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 movie version. Tell me a little bit about your little shop. Ah, yes. So um, this Little Shop of Horrors is the 1960 original, original um, film screenplay, um, which was the precursor to the big famous musical and subsequently the big famous musical movie. Um, when asked to do this, um, standby for places, I got all stressed out about finding some sort of classic play that I could learn a lot about really fast. And I, that's not my general library of knowledge, which is musicals. Um, I do know plenty of plays, but it just worried me. And then our little creator, creator Frida said, you know, you can look at like film scripts and stuff that are, might be on public domain. And I was like, wait, what? And then I found a whole list of sci-fi B movies and Little Shop was on there. And I was like instantly hooked. I love the musical of Little Shop of Horrors. I've been obsessed with it for a long time. And years and years ago, a friend in high school turned me on to the original black and white 1960 movie version. And he was like, you know, this is based on this, right? I had no idea. So um, as soon as I saw that title, I was jazzed. It's a really weird, unapologetic <laughs> sci-fi B-movie um, farce kind of situation. And uh, I was really happy to dive into it because I find it super interesting because most people do know the famous musical to just kind of see what those origins are. There's a very thrilling, small but pivotal uh, sex worker role at the end that I hear is played by a really fantastic actress. So. Yeah, she's amazing. She can do anything she's got a, <laughs> and got a killer voice. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you have you done the musical? Actually, I've never done the musical. I think I ran Spotlight for it no once way. in community theater. Um, it's always been, actually Seymour has always been on my top list of dream roles and it's just, I've never had the opportunity to do it. Oh, you'd be um, a great Seymour. Although oh, I could totally thanks. see you as the dentist. Thank you. And honestly, that is what everybody has said to me the whole, my whole life. They're like, you're not a Seymour. And I have, I take issue with that because Seymour was branded a thing, but I think um, a lack of self-confidence and a lack of self-worth mm. looks like all sorts of things. So I think I would be a great Seymour. Thank you. I much. think you would too. There has been some discourse on Twitter about people being fed up with hot Seymours. There's just, there's just one after the other and, and you are uh, without a doubt um, hot for the capital H. So that is in the eye of the beholder. And I thank you for that compliment, <laughs> but that does not mean that that I am not a broken person. I you know, agree. I think that you I cannot be a control fantastic the fantastic Seymour. 
Thank you. I actually would love to just direct and choreograph it at this point. I have some really fun ideas for it. And now diving into the OG. And then I read, I went back and read what people say were, was the inspiration for this movie. And uh, it's really cool when you strip away the really famous branding, the really yes. famous imprint of yep. these roles that we know, those weren't there in the original. And so I enjoyed that part of our process together, which was just like, well, we let's pretend we don't know anything about Ellen Green. What's on the page? You know what I mean? And I'm, it, it was a funner new way to kind of look at it. And I mean, I mean, ultimately, I think it is the correct way to look at a thing, right? I think that um, when you compare this 1960s movie version to the famous, more known version, I think the Seymour is pretty much dead on. And I think the, the Mushnik is pretty much exactly the same. And everything else is, is kind of like, thrown in a container and shook down a little bit different, shaken down. Um, but those two seem really similar and then everything else seemed very uh, uh, fair game to just kind of reanalyze what was sitting in front of us rather than all of those knowns. Yeah, it sounds really interesting to go kind of back to the beginning and even before what you thought was the beginning. What 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 is the original source material? I'm actually I'm gonna, not aware. I looked it up because I, I didn't want to get this wrong. So. Um, Thank you, Wikipedia. God but bless. This is where I found all this. They said the concept is thought to be based on a, a short story called Green Thoughts from 1932 by um, John Collier about a man-eating plant. And then they suggest that that may have been influenced, um, no, that that may have influenced an Arthur C. Clarke 1956 story called The Reluctant Orchid, which in turn was also inspired by a 1905 H.G. Wells story the flowering of the strange orchids. So there's these three wow. stories. I did go, I read Green Thoughts before we worked. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's like this orchid just sitting in a house and the guy's like cat disappears. And then a bud opens on the plant and it looks like a cat face. I mean, oh, that's right literally- out, Right out of the I mean, script, yeah. So it's it's pretty undeniably uh, referential. And so I did, I thought that was kind of fun and interesting because there's no- there's no like Levi Stubbs singing and dancing. There's right. no like, rah. there was no visible threat. It just was like, strange thing happened, plant bud opened face, person disappeared, plant bud, you know what I mean? And you don't see any of the, mm. the action per se. And kind even in this- zone-ish. Certainly, certainly. Um, and even in this 1960s version, the, the perceived threat of it is not shown as much. It's very, it's it's chill compared to the musical version that we know, right? Yes. Um, Which probably yeah. makes uh, it probably lends itself a little better to an audio experience if if the action is described rather than shown. Yes. Uh, now that was interesting to me too because taking a movie screenplay, tons of it is visual, so I did have to doctor up a few things and do some additional writing because there were the you know long sequences of just shot after shot of traveling or walking or things happening or, you know, and, and so you kind of had to write out a, a stream of consciousness monologue sometimes to cover some of those things to make it more clear in this audio experience, which I've never done before. This was a really cool new idea for me. Yeah, what, what have you, I, I also directed my first audio production this year and it was a learning curve. Um, what did you find? Because you've directed way more stage than I have. You're you're a very accomplished director. I can say, having worked with you, you're a, you're a fantastic director. I love. I, I just love the way that you come in, 
knowing what you want and articulating it really clearly while still leaving room for collaboration and inspiration from the artists. Like, I, I think you're such an efficient director and you can do so much with such a little amount of time. Um, what are you coming, coming from stage to audio? Did you find those to be wildly different experiences or was there a lot of crossover? First of all, thank you for maybe the nicest thing anybody's ever said about me. Really, <laughs> that, that is very, very kind and I deeply appreciate it. Um, what was different? Uh, well, knowing that, how do I want to start this? Okay, so when I did many, many plays back in the day, I would spend a ton of time making the sound effects and the the any kind of sound cues and underscoring. And I love being able to do that. And it was, you know, when you're got a unit set and a small amount of time or a low budget, sometimes you, you can fill in with that audio experience and make things seem to be happening that aren't happening. So I've always thought that was super fun. I um, was very into studying like cinema and how sound effects were made back in the day. I'm not like, I'm not like a scholar at it, but I loved finding out about that kind of stuff. I was, the creative process of smoke and mirrors is very thrilling to me. So in doing this audio play, I knew that uh, tons of stuff would happen after the fact. So I wanted to get our actors together, which was the coolest assemblage of people I love from, from 30 plus years of life and all these different places and scopes. And I hate Zoom. Hi, Zoom. Thank you for sponsoring <laughs> us. But what that allows for is getting a group of people together that are nowhere near in the same place. So that was really fun. And I knew that I could, I just needed to push and, and sculpt that a little bit and get it on the recording. And then all afterwards, then we get out the like sound paintbrushes and start like playing, 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 which I've been spending hours and hours and hours on zhuzhing it up. And it, it, I feel like a kid in a sandbox. Like I'm having so much fun with that part of it. Um, but I knew we could only get so far with quote, just the actors, you know, and because Zoom has a lag and recordings have problems and microphones do things. And mm -hmm. um, um, I just knew like, we just need to get the pile of tools there. And then Frida and I have spent a ton of time back and forth um, trying to work it out. Um, what have I learned is that a lot can be done with sound effects, <laughs> location changes, vibe, uh, it that's super fun and and you can think something's fine and then realize like oh my gosh if I was really in that location I would hear this ambient hum because of the the refrigerated coolers mm -hmm. what if we put that in you find a refrigerated hum you put it under all of a sudden it's like you've been transported to a whole new place I I, I find that completely magical so I've had a blast this past few weeks <laughs> It's always nice to have a blast in post because sometimes it can be the exact opposite experience. Well, yeah, and there there are frustrations. I mean, like I said, you know, on a stage, if you have a line and then you walk over here and grab your pink drink and then you say your second line, that space feels interminable when you're just doing audio. Mm -hmm. So it is like, there's a lot of tedium of like chopping it up so that it doesn't feel rushed, but it also doesn't feel laggy, doesn't feel like blank space. So there was, a lot of just utilitarian making the story have momentum, but then all of the, the adding and all of the sound, that that's just like throwing craft supplies on the floor and saying, go. So uh, yeah, it is it has absolutely been fun. It's a long, long process. I mean, our show is about an hour and eight minutes or something. And uh, you know, 
that's a lot of listening time and sending notes back and forth. And yeah, it's absolutely a ton of work. Um, but I like to work hard. Yeah. It's interesting that you said you talk about like the hum of, of, of like ambient noise and things like that. I feel like it's something that can get lost in visual storytelling if, if you're not thinking of it, like uh, whether that's on stage or on film, I've done plays and I don't think anybody's been like, now there would be a sound coming from the kitchen if this was a real house. Um, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what do you think about, do you, do you, do you feel like that's something that's going to be on your mind moving forward in, in other mediums? Um, I think it always was on my mind. And yeah. uh, so when I've done plays, I tend to have a lot of sound cues for, I, I think the visual is forgiving. I think it, I think also you show up at a theater, you go to a thing, you're, you've shown up with not only an expectation, but a willingness to participate in going on the ride, right? And so yeah. if it's not exactly literal, you're cool. I mean, look, I like musicals the most. I do musicals. Nothing about that is necessarily literal or uh, logical or makes perfect sense. And yet you're just like, absolutely, I'm in. So um, I, I think we could have done almost no sound effects and just let the actors do the job. And I think people would have enjoyed it. I think it would be a lot of fun. And so to me, it's just like piles and piles and piles of icing. And I like a lot of icing. I'm definitely, yeah. <laughs> you know, but then there's, where do you draw that line? You know, it was discussed and I will now lay it out. Like there's a lot of comings and goings in this shop. There's people constantly in and out. And it was discussed, do we put footsteps in for every single one of these people? Or, yeah. and honestly, we decided not to do that because I had done so much, I think, maybe you'll think like, you know, the truth is, is if I think I've done my job right, you shouldn't really notice or care how much sound effects are there. That's right. the real truth. As long it. as it's not distracting. Yeah, or yeah. perfectly distracting when it's meant to be. Right, you know? exactly. But, yeah. but like this hum and this, like you should just be like, oh, right, it sounds like a shop. Oh, they're talking. You know, I mean, you should be on the actors, right? Yes. Um, so that said, you know, with this footstep thing, we decided ultimately not to do that right. and to even and consider using that for only one portion to make it stand out separately. And I got to tell you, after working on that portion, I didn't put them in there either. So that was something that in oh, real life, you would hear people walking around. You hear the click of the 1960s heel and you'd hear the flat of the boots. Like you'd hear the difference. And, but because of the, the voices and the, what we could get from the, the intention of the people, I don't think it's necessary. I think that goes to too literal, you yeah. know? So it's finding the balance in the line. Also, this is a very, um, otherworldly, like I said, sci-fi B-movie thing. So there's a there's a suspension of disbelief anyway. And it's about a plant that compels people to um, kill other people, spoiler alert. Oh my God, spoiler, nobody I knows know. that. I totally did. <laughs> That's so interesting that you bring up about the footsteps because when I was doing 12th Night, I had the same conundrum where I was like, I can't, I, can't, I couldn't have footsteps every time somebody moved. It was gonna make me insane. And it was going to make the listeners insane. And uh, so ultimately, I decided to just use it sparingly when it when it served the story, when somebody was running up in a huff or when a door was opening dramatically and somebody stormed in. Um, but yeah, that that ended up being a huge sticking point in post for me. So it's 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 uh, it's reassuring to hear it was a it was a sticking point for somebody else. It's, uh, again, like you said, very important moments, like a walk in or a whatever. I, I can imagine why that would be important. But it, when it's too literal, then mm. it feels forced, I think, or almost just like too heavy handed. 
And it almost like it's like hearing a word over and over again. You hear like foot. I used a lot of footsteps in gravel, and eventually I started being like, "What does this even sound like? What what is this noise? It doesn't mean yeah. anything anymore." Agree. We have a um a store bell that you know people are in and out of the shop a million times, like like a noises off kind of vibe. And and but that was one I was like, it has to happen every time because you have to know if they've entered or exited. And normally you would just see them go in a wing right. or come back, right? Yeah. So that is a thing that is there 80 million times and sometimes it's like one after another and and on top of lines and I, I think that's really fun and that does enough you know oh the bell opens someone went in or out if they're like i'll see you tomorrow and you hear the bell you know they left i mean it just right. kind of it's enough but in my book it's not too much but that was also fun like if i thought someone would slam open the door and say their line and then let the door shut i could micromanage where the shutting sound was and right to, so that was fun to act my way through what people might do did you see it way. as it's interesting that you bring up noises off were you going for a farcical tone i was i going for a farcical tone i mean the shop people come and go super fast that's the job right so yes i immediately saw almost like a yes i saw a noises off vibe at times and the 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 dialogue is brief and it's it's not always great and you know I was just trying to honor what it was in a with a bit of an urgency everybody need you know that's urgency is the thing right you don't want to rush yeah. through everything but if people don't need stuff it doesn't become compelling to watch or listen to I Absolutely. think and so um was I going I, I don't know if I was going for anything except to do like some that's an interesting question I think yeah was there was there something that you being informed by the IP of the musical and and the the original story and the 1960 film, all of which I assume have quite different tones, or maybe there's overlap. Um, was there was there something that you had in mind coming in, or was it something you wanted to explore as we rehearsed? Um, I definitely wanted it to be like unapologetically committed to the stakes of it. You know what I mean? Mm. It's outrageous and it's odd and what people choose to do within it is pretty strange. Like, oh, we had a good day, let's go celebrate. I mean, that's just like, there's just logical things that may not make sense, but we just had to say like, no, that's what they did. And it's because they want it. And so I think when you just, I just wanted it to be committed to, and that becomes, unapologetically weird I think um I didn't have like I definitely think the word noir because there's it's just kind of dark and seedy but it's a little outrageous I wasn't trying to make it like campy or yucky but it does border on camp because it's just a little odd um I don't know that I had one specific tone in mind I wasn't uh you know I I reached out to all these fun people who I knew would bring things. And sometimes I was surprised by the thing they brought and was like, cool, let's ride that train. And then sometimes I was like, oh, I very specifically hear it. Like, you know, I feel like I, you, you came in with this great idea. And I was like, what if we try this other idea and kind of, which is what we do, right? Absolutely. I am also that's... an actor and a performer and that's the gig. You show yeah. up, what did Tom, what did Tom say? Show up with a head full of ideas. Um, <laughs> that's the gig, right? And then, but you're like, I, I learned at some point that, you want to prep, you want to have all these ideas, but if they want something else, you don't take it personally. You're just like, yeah, sure. I can do that too. Right. I call it hoops. Like give me some hoops and I will jump through them. But if you don't give me anything, I'm going to bring you 80 million ideas. So 
again, I thank you for doing that, but I heard it a very specific way. So I don't know that there was an overarching tone other than like unforgiving honesty, you know, depth of need and stake because sure. it, it, it's, it escalates very quickly and goes really weird places very fast. And then there's just in this movie, especially there's a lot of just like happenstance, you know, oops, I threw a rock and that happened and it was accidental. I won't say what that is, but it happens. Spoiler twice. alert. Um, it happens so, twice. <laughs> it happens twice. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know what I was trying to say. I just wanted to to honor it, meaning do the most honest version of it and see mm -hmm. what it comes out to. Um, some of that tone comes back to like, how realistic are these sound effects? I looked at cartoon versions of sound effects and that didn't feel right at all. Mm. And realistic ones are a little creepy, but also felt right. So, I mean, I guess that's up to the listener to decide if it has a, a specific tone. Um, yeah. We very specifically went away from a lot of the movie, the famous movie imprints because that's just because of the people they got. Right. Yeah, because I remember you saying at, at the first rehearsal, you were like, this is not, we're not doing Ellen Green. We're not right. doing Levi Stubbs. Um, right, which those is so are freeing. two very specific things that we wanted to not do, and the dentist as well. Right, exactly. They're all all very specific people, which uh, was easy for me because I've actually never seen the movie musical. Oh, I hope you will. It's I'm going stupendous. to now. I'm going Frank to now. Frank Oz, Frank Oz directed it. The man is a genius. I mean, yeah, he's every he's everything. Yeah, he is everything. And then you we got Rick just, Moranis and yeah. Ellen green like come on it's genius i've seen bits i've seen clips and i've enjoyed all of them i just never saw the whole thing i've also never seen um the sound of music movie musical so i i could just leave now well that's because you're just a terrible person i'm just a bad person basically in general saying um here's something that i found interesting so yeah. and if i'm wrong don't hate tweet um there's a thing that is left out of the stage musical but then when they made the famous musical movie, Bill Murray comes in as this kind of um, masochistic uh, dental patient, which throws back to this original movie version. And so right. that was really fun. And that's Jack Nicholson's first, I think first movie role ever in the 1960. Amazing. Um, yeah. And so I thought that was really fun that that was in there, then taken out and then put back in, you know, if I have my lore right, I've seen the musical plenty of times and I don't remember that happening. So I don't remember it happening either. I've seen the musical. Yeah. Right, right, right. So that's a, that just an interesting thing, um, Mr. Wilberforce, which I enjoy very yeah. much. Yeah. There, there, that kind of, there's a, there's a theme of that in the script of there's that guy who eats flowers and there's, there's sort of a, a theme of um, taboo behavior and, and, um, enjoying things that are seen of as weird by other people which for a 1960 an early 1960s film seems like almost transgressive or um uh, unusual um is that is that part of what drew you to the story huh i don't the weird, know the weirdness of it i i definitely think there's a lot of weird stuff for weird sake you know what i mean like that that moment we're talking about with the dental patient actually has truth be told, zero to do with the plot. None, it doesn't, yeah. It's just this like one-off thing. And the, the guy who eats uh, flowers, he just keeps showing up and he eats flowers. And he does happen to have this interesting idea, which kind of ca is a catalyst for, for the plot. But again, that's removed from the famous musical as well. And so 
going back, I would have to really uh, analyze this, the other films of um, Roger Corman who, who directed this movie. And, and he, it's my understanding he filmed it in two nights on the set of some other movie he was already filming. <laughs> so, I mean, this just seemed like, uh, if, I, if I really, really, really did the research, my guess is it was just a bunch of people trying to make a really weird thing really fast for fun. Yeah, yeah, that, that's then, kind of the vibe I get. It's just, it, it's, there's something very exciting about it being in like a movie that was in theaters in 1960. Yeah, it's odd. And I don't think it had a much of a uh, traction until Jack Nicholson became bigger. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, hey, this was his first movie. And then I think that nice. drew people to it. And um, he's a famously weird man in a, in a great way. Unapologetically weird. Love it, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, like, was it, did you go looking for a B movie and then were like Little Shop or were you kind of looking for something weird and unusual and that's what got you into the b-movie realm yes so in in going through the list of things that were public domain mm -hmm. and finding when i heard about movies i was like oh where to even begin and i was like oh maybe a sci-fi b-movie is a weird fun thing to do and honestly i like did a google search and little shop was like on that list on the first page and i was like oh that's it let's do Maybe. that because it was something you know when you have a lot of time, I have no problem doing something I don't know anything about. And I'll yeah. go and I'll delve in and I'll eat all the research and then I'll suddenly come to it with ideas. Mm -hmm. But when you don't have a ton of time and you have a lot of other things going on and another show and a family, sometimes it's nice to revisit something that you already have a lot of information about. Right. Certainly this was completely different than, like I said, the famous movie, musical, et cetera. So there was stuff to figure out, but... Um, I wasn't coming to it a blank slate and like trying to understand a Shakespeare play that I've never read before. Sure. So um, decided on movies, decided on how about a sci-fi B movie? That could be fun, clickety-clack, little shops there, done. I mean, it all happened, the decision happened really fast. It was meant to be. I'm into it, yeah. It was yeah. meant to be. Um, <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about the characters because okay. I, I love, I, I love that you came at it with this, like, we're going to do this with honesty. We're going to commit to the stakes. And that's how you yield comedy. That's how you yield heart-wrenchingness. That's how weird gets played as compelling instead of just like, what is this? Um, so it, it sets the stage for hopefully, these characters Hopefully you're right about that. At the heart of all this weird, there's these people who are regular people who have wants and needs and insecurities and loves. Um, Seymour, like you said, is... Uh, somebody who's commonly understood because he's pretty similar in the musical and in the musical film. Um, Audrey's a little different because it's not Ellen Green. Um, Audrey, we, yes, I'm gonna interrupt you. So Audrey, we just don't have a ton of information on her in this original, original version. Um, there's a lot more to her backstory in the musical. Also in the musical, they've paired her with the dentist as mm -hmm. this horribly dysfunctional relationship. That's not in the OG, I'm getting chills. Um, um, and so we just have this, well, I don't wanna say that word, but like just a more average kind of girl who works at this shop. Whereas what Ellen and the musical have done with it is this extreme downtrodden person with all of these quirks and none of those exist. Um, something I thought was fun is like her use of language in this version is these yeah. is using these really big words or ill-conceived words or maybe even mispronounced big words. And so I just thought that was something to latch onto as a person who is 
trying to better herself rather than playing at being maybe dumb or perceived as being dumb. We don't have any of that. Um, and I think Chris did a really great job with it of bringing like this bright innocence and wishing for betterment, which is why she would support Seymour, which is why she would work so hard for things. And uh, mm -hmm. that's just, it's just a different version. I also, Seymour, there's a something that's in this OG version is that he's got an ailing mother or yeah. ailing mother in quotes, a seemingly hypochondriac mother who always has problems and issues. And so he's got to take care of her, which means he needs to make money, which means, you know, there's, there's a lot of, pressure on him to provide whereas in the musical he lives in the basement of the shop and has no family um i'm not saying that's not pressure of it's it's just different pressure so this this version brings um like more information about him and less information about um uh audrey and then the dentist too just seems like this separate piece of weirdness because mm. he's not ingrained in the relationships with audrey he's not necessarily a bad person that's hurting a person you love i mean that's that's how that goes in the musical right so which is good that's a more investment for the audience to latch onto. things should mean things things should have importance um you're saying yes uh, uh if you play for extreme honesty that's where you get comedy that's where you get weirdness and that is really the truth you gotta boil it down because any character and any even comic characters, they just, I think the comedy is because they want to think so much. The stakes are so high. The honesty is so big that it just seems absurd to the audience. It's up to the audience to decide if it's funny. I never thought like, say that line so it's funny. Like that, I can't. <laughs> That's I've the hardest I, direction to receive. I worked with a director world. who who knew what she meant, but didn't mm -hmm. necessarily know how to say. And she would say like, it just needs to be funnier. And I'm like, mm, because, <laughs> if the stakes are higher, it'll automatically become funnier. You right. So I'm not, and I'm not selling this as a comedy in any way. I think there's definitely some weirdness about, I, I definitely weird some, is a better word than funny yeah, there, to me. There, there's some great laughs though in there as well uh, as some heart wrenching and kind of scary and disturbing moments. Yeah. But that's up to the audience. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Humor is subjective, which is why be funny is completely useless direction. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. In those moments. And when I've been directed like that, I'm like, then I go translate what would make this funnier oh if he wanted it more or oh you know yeah. and then and then that's that's our gig sometimes as actors to figure out the mental process of how to get the thing they mean but right. with an in an honest way that supports our character right yeah but but I appreciate that you were much more led with being committed rather than being something something subjective and intangible so did you work with Chris specifically on on building Audrey based on what, what you had in the script? We absolutely did. I wanted, when I, you know, again, the stamp is so <laughs> huge yeah. that when I reached out to her and said, I'd like you to do this, um, Chris is, she's magic. We've worked together before. And I, I think of her a lot for a lot of different things. And secretly, if you're ever doing a production of Sweet Charity, I am convinced she's your girl. Anyway, oh God, that'd be amazing. Um, I know, and I can't wait to do it sometimes. So if you're listening, Chris, shout out. Um, but <laughs> she's she's really spectacular anyway when i asked her about it i wanted to make sure she knew and i don't mean please do it the way the famous way you know right. and so that i also know when you go into a role that's so famously stamped sometimes it's scary to not do that because suddenly yeah. you're just a vulnerable human again but we did talk about that like we don't have any information about her what does she want why is she there why does she support this guy and so we did find it and like i said those big words like 
what if she's a person that's, I use the phrase, um, like dress for the career you want, not the career you have. Mm -hmm. And I said, what if she is studying and working hard to get out of Skid Row, to get out of those floors, to better her life. And so she's presenting herself in a light of betterment, of trying to be educated, of trying to be more than she was. And so that is why these words come out. And that's why she's so positive about things is that she's going to take her situation and better it rather than being downtrodden about it, you know? And that is a very different thing than the musical. The musical, she is downtrodden. She doesn't wallow. I don't think of her as a wallower. She's just a person that's fighting and doesn't know how to get out. The walls are so tall, right? So enough about that. (laughs) But, um, But with this version, she just seems like a little thinly written and a little upbeat, which might be just like the boring stereotypical how a woman is in the 60s. But I wanted to make sure we didn't, I'm just like, just be positive. Like that's not the direction, why? And so that's, yes, that is what we landed on. And, and she seemed very receptive to that. And it, it makes even like one-off lines more interesting to do because it gives the seemingly daft positivity a reason and a focus and a humanity right. to it. Because sometimes you just don't have that much information on your character. That's true. Yeah, I, it definitely shows. I mean, her her performance is so great and and so compelling, and I, their relationship is so lovely and kind of it, it's it's again I I haven't seen the musical movie, but I have seen the musical, and yeah. and it is so different. the 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 dynamic seems to be so different because she seems to be there's there's an element in the musical of like her needing saving by Seymour. Yeah, and that is kind of there, isn't it? I'm not saying that's good or bad necessarily, but that's there. And and in this, she seems to be somebody who can offer Seymour a certain amount of a lifeline. I agree. Yes, uh, yes. And that idea, yeah, I know a lot of people have issues with men saving women or, you know, whatever, but that is just the reality of those characters that they wrote. So sure. I'm not judging it. But in this case, I feel like she is more of the savior if if we're going to define it like that. She's the one who's like, give him a chance, let him try. Like she's the cheerleader for him. Yeah. And she's, she's, she's like more aspirational for him too, because like she, she's, she's all about betterment and that, that definitely reads. And he, uh, with his, with his mother and his, and his, his insecurities and things like that. I, I, it seems like that the dynamic seems much more like she's a ray of light in his life. I agree. Um, which I, I think, think that's so a great lovely. way to put it. Um, he definitely, you know, he's been doing the raising of this plant secretly at home in their kitchen. So he, something about him is like, oh, if I can do this, maybe that could, you know, he wants to be a known botanist, right? Mm-hmm. And And yet he keeps it hiding in the kitchen. So he's not ready to cheerlead himself yet. And she is ready. Yeah, right? But she is ready to cheerlead for others as well as herself. That's what I thought about it. Oh, it's a really lovely dynamic in this version. And, And it, it's such an, it's kind of an anchor for the characters so that when things go sideways, it's, it's especially sad. Um, And then there's the relationship with Seymour and the plant who is not Levi Stubbs in this version. Right. He's something quite different. Quite different. Yeah. What were you going for with with the the um, plant? I was afraid of going that, again, extremely branded route. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think it's interesting in the original movie that he's, I honestly felt like it's just not threatening. It's like me being like, I need a thing. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry. You know, like it just doesn't, it doesn't hit for me. And so it was, we were free to re-explore it. Um, I, I'm very happy that we got Eric Romney to do it because I he's just, he's going to bring a head full of ideas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I love that about him. And um, so he was willing to try some things and he was willing, I was like, let's just kill all of these known ideas and what else do you want to try? And uh, he showed up with these like voice changers and stuff, which I kind of thought we would do in post, but he just went in and then we we kind of crafted the voice changer idea to so that the plant would grow. We I took the idea of like, you know, if in a plant life, lifespan of going from baby through adolescent, through teenager, through master, like, you know, rah. and so we like, he was all aboard, uh, all aboard for that. And we spent a bunch of time like playing with what that sounded like. And, but even that, you know, you have this big, like, I'm the scary thing. And we had to spend time to make sure he just wasn't projecting out, look at me be scary, but he really needed a thing. So once again, we came back to like, heavy need and high stakes for the plant. If I don't get food, I will die. You know, right. I need a yeah. thing from you. Um, so even there, like, I just feel like if you, it, it may not come out when you're listening to it, but if you just go hardcore on the honesty of what people need, I think you're going to get a great product. It's so simple. It's I so mean, simple. when in doubt, I have to go back like, wait, take the yeah. smoke and noise out what does this person want oh What's, what do they okay. actually want you know yeah. I actually think I at, because of I've done a ton of performing and I've often understudied and I've often been in an ensemble and I've often been a dance captain or a swing and so I'm used to looking at a show from a million vantage points mm -hmm. which I think has accidentally trained me to think about big picture in a different way that's from from behind rather than from out front you know we can all learn to do things but i at one point was like oh if every single person on that stage is just deeply honest about what they need and what they want the blocking is going to take care of itself and make sense it's not just a cross because i need interest right then right that thing well that doesn't want to be around that and it just kind of like if you just deeply honestly go from everybody's secret point of view or not secret point of view, then the big picture will happen. Um, but you gotta go back to the honesty of it. And the honesty, every single of your 12 ensemble members has to have an honest reaction to this thing and this reason and a feeling about and a point of view about, and then it'll just pew, pew, pew. And so even in this audio version, that's what I wanted to make sure of if we could, you know? And again, we're all um, people who have stuff and lives and doing this like, fun project and so I didn't want to over rehearse it or put a ton of time on it for to take out of them knowing how much time was going to go into post so it's not like we had like an epic rehearsal process so I did my best to try to steer people to what I thought would work quickly mm -hmm. um and then also because it's a recording you just got to kind of get it out right once <laughs> there's not this like but can you what did you do can you bring that back tomorrow can you you know there wasn't a lot of like on stage you need to um routine stuff over and over to make sure that the flow always works right, right. but in this case you just got to get that oh if you could just get the line one time <laughs> then yeah. we can just freeze it I guess that's probably maybe how film works too but anyway um my point was 
when in doubt, I would just filter out all of the smoke and noise and go mm-hmm. back to the intense need of somebody. And hopefully, hopefully it worked. I, I'm, I bet it did because listening in to the recording was, was very entertaining and exciting just <laughs> being in the room. So I, I can't day. wait to hear it with the sound design and everything. Um, <laughs> you doing all the, all these different jobs in theater uh, is what I, personally I think makes you such an effective director. You, you doing all these different jobs makes you so empathetic to what the vantage point is from everybody's position. And I think that's why you're able to like come in and articulate so clearly what it is we're all going to be doing. You also performed in this as well as yes. directed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Funny. Um, I've, <laughs> I've cut myself from one, but I might have to put it back in because there's a little space. Um, <laughs> yes, I. there may have been a grunt or yeah. like a, uh, uh, maybe that happened. Um, I'm uncredited. You were born to play. And that's fine with me. Um, yes, we had, we had, I assembled 17 people. Um, there was a little bit of doubling for other people. And then I was just like, oh, I'll just do that. So yeah, I have, I have to, I have to have a re-record session with myself on one line. <laughs> Right before your scene, actually. Yes, yes. I blew out my mic. So on my one like idiot line. So I have to, I'll have to go back and re-record that. Oh, that's so funny. Um, (laughs) What do you hope that listeners get out of, out of listening to Little Shop? Oh my gosh. What do I hope they get? I just hope they get, you know, an hour plus of a fun escape and something entertaining. I mean, I, I don't know that there's, some like human moral that I feel needs to be shared with the world through a demon plant. Um, that's up to you. <laughs> but honestly, I, I was just like, oh, this could just be so entertaining in a road trip or on your long commute back and forth to whatever. Um, I love the mission of Standby for Places, which was, you know, when the COVID hit and nobody could do stuff, they're like, let's bring plays to people, which is great. And so that ex- still excites me. I think that um, the, the pandemic and the, the suddenly everybody being in their own houses, it went through many phases and very fast. It was like, well, let's just have zoom reunions with everybody. And then they're like, Hey, wait, let's read this play. We did a reading series with the college that we teach at, um, just to like get students involved in something and get them to know some new material. We just, we like read Xanadu and Batboy and, and a new play and just, and it was like, clunky and crazy and then I have friends who did zoom musicals that I watched in on and I would like watch it and you know they'd say they're lying and then someone else would say you know and there's the zoom <laughs> pauses and it's it, it, it was bad pains. and it was good and it yeah. was it was all of those things but I love this because it happened on zoom it's recorded on zoom you're I you're going to be a little aware of that because people's microphones in their rooms and their ambience sounds a little different but then we were able to freeze it and edit it and try to make it more of a a a ride rather than like waiting for a thing to happen so what I hope people get out of it is entertained and just fun and and a flight of fancy and um I also think I do believe most people know the famous, famous version. And I think it'll be interesting to them to see these these origins of where that came from. Because it is, you know, it's like when you see a new Christmas Carol, you're like, oh, I know all this, but that's different, you know? And it's right. The intertextuality that's brought in. Yeah, because you can't help but bring those ideas with you. And so some people would be like, that doesn't sound right because it's not Ellen Green doing Ellen Green, you know? And, uh, but I think, uh, yeah, fun, fun, fun and entertainment. 
is what I think and I hope people will get out of it. That's a, that's a beautiful thing right to give people, friend. especially right when we're coming out of a Panda Express or whatever yes. is happening right now. Uh, who knows if it's over? Who knows if it's still going? And mm. either way, uh, it's it, it's nice to have something to enjoy that's new and that's done by enthusiastic creators. Um, so I, I certainly can't wait to listen to it. When does it drop? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it drops at the end of June. I don't the have the date. Should we look up the date? We could. I'll text Frida right now. Okay. And then we'll edit it in. Um, yes, it is interesting to be making this right when things are starting to open and live theaters coming back. But you know what doesn't go away? Commutes and travel. That's true. And I listen to podcasts all the time when I travel. And I'm often like, let's find a new one. And this would be a really fun thing. And I think I haven't I've listened a little bit to some of the other ones because I wanted an idea of what I was trying to achieve and what I was trying to get into. But I also realized it's a it's a great way to learn about some plays that I didn't know anything about to go back and, and see some of those classics. And then there's also new works. I, I hope Standby for Places keeps going, 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 which I believe they are. I think it's, they are. It was like born out of necessity and fun for the pandemic, but now it feels like it has a really great um, set of traction. So I would happily come back and do more things. Is there anything else that uh, tickles your fancy as something you might want to explore in this particular medium? Oh, I'm definitely of interest as an actor because I've always had a really weird and strange and malleable voice. And uh, one of my dreams was always to do um, cartoon voices. Um, right before I moved away from the city, I accidentally got hooked up with a a, a place that does cartoon voices. And I did a few little episodes of some things and it was so much fun to me. Um, it so was fun. It was done so fast and weird and kind of confusing. And then I got cast in this new version of Wind in the Willows that I think just never happened. And then I moved and so whatever. But so I would be interested in, in doing something where I could play like multiple parts and do all my weirdness. Like I, where I, some reviewer once saw me in a musical and was like, I hope he becomes famous because they can make a cartoon of him. And you know, so it's always been a thing that feels more accessible to me is like weird voices. And I, I have an expressive way of talking. So that would be interesting to me as a director. I, I'm really open to a lot of things. I, I wanted, when I started going on, I've always wanted to be a director and a choreographer and I love that. And I was really interested in doing things I knew a lot about. And then as I gained confidence, I was very happy to start doing things that I knew nothing about and into diving in there. Um, I don't have, I don't have a hit list right now. Audio is new. Yeah. Do you, do you think a musical would work in this format and, and manage to not be a concept album? I've been wondering that. I've been pondering. I, I actually do because what you miss on generally on an album at all is all the, the scene work and the dialogue. So I think it would be really cool, especially to do maybe a, maybe a known one mm. because, or, or a famous, famous album, because then you'd get all the other parts. I think coordinating all of the recording, I think there'd be all sorts of question marks about legality in that case, but Yes, I mean, we listen to cast albums all the time. So to have the scene work in there done in, you know, a way that's compelling that gets you to the next thing, I, I think it would be really entertaining to listen to. I think so too. I think that would be so interesting to explore. I've been, I've been pondering whether that would be doable in a way that would, that would work. Um, but I, the more I think about it, the more I think that it would. I think it'd be interesting. It's gonna be super fun. 
It's super fun. It's fast moving. It's got a great big cast of really accomplished people from all over. We had people on the West Coast, Mountain Time, East Coast, and Germany. So we were we were worldwide. <laughs> we were global. We were global AF. All right. Yes. So everybody plan a road trip or plan a nice hour and eight minute long subway commute. Yes. And enjoy <laughs> this super exciting and fun and weird and wacky and expertly directed and very well acted uh, production <laughs> of Little Shop of Horrors that you can find on standby for places at the end of June. Eric, thank you so much. Oh, before I go, do you have anything yes, else you want to plug? Oh, gosh, I don't. But like and subscribe, you guys. They're like doing great work. It's it's really, I love supporting. Okay, I'm always excited when someone's like, I have an idea and they actually carry it through and make it happen. You know how many millions of ideas I've had that I just never followed through on? So this excites me that this Frida and this group of people were like, let's let's put on plays for the radio. And then they did. And then it's going. And now and it's going for, for a long time. <laughs> and that's just, I just want to celebrate them and support them. So I hope I'll drive some people here with the people I know and our cast drives people here and everybody can can enjoy this fantastic creation of Standby for Places, the podcast experience. The podcast experience. <laughs> Eric, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. This was very fun. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Sorry about all the glitching. I'm I'm sorry. Like it's, right now. <laughs> oh, yep, yep. It's me. I'm glitching. We're going to um, edit. We're going to edit it out. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Um, go and listen to Little Shop of Horrors and uh, keep checking back at Standby for Places because there's some great things on the docket. And um, follow Eric on Instagram because he's awesome. <laughs> and you can see all the all fabulous the things he's going to get up to. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Eric. Thank you.